0: Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest-working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to Episode 10, our special guest, Peter Greggis. Welcome, Peter Greggis, to the show. <laughs> Hi, Brad Bradley thank
1: you for having me
0: uh, I'm so thrilled to have you here because uh, you were actually the very first person I met in New York City oh
1: my god all those thousands of years it, ago it was a
0: long time ago because it was a uh, Christmas Carol at Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. and there was just four of us doing the second year uh, the at-
1: new the new dancers they brought in you me Stroman Lisa Shriver learning
0: that damn sailor dance uh, it was it was a crazy <laughs> experience to I mean just move to New York and have my first experience be. Mammoth, like eight yeah, 80 that was people. Yeah, a big thing to come in on. And where did that people. line in, like, in your career trajectory? That was
1: actually, for me, that was like, I was, that was 1995. I was around 34, 35 years old. So it was actually later for me. Um, I'd been auditioning for Stroman a lot in that year. She had done Showboat and she, Crazy for You was still playing. And so, I was constantly, like, trying to get in that door with her, and, and Christmas carrot was the thing that cracked for me. Um, but it was, like, you were 23. I was, like, 10 years older than you. So it was a little different uh, going in for me because I I had a little bit more experience, and it wasn't my first job in New York, so, you know, I wasn't quite as um, wide-eyed <laughs> as you
2: were.
1: <laughs> I might have been a little bit more a little more jaded than you Um, but it's still I mean like it was exciting for me to to finally crack like the Stroman code and get in the door with her because it was really my first time working with her and I had auditioned for like she was supposed to do um, her and Mike Ockrent her husband who passed away was supposed to do um, Kiss Me Kate in the park do you remember that? Yes and I had auditioned for that and I'll never forget like spending literally 15 minutes in the studio with her and Mike Ockrent Mike making me do um this monologue the Shakespeare monologue over and over and over again and Stroman like sitting there like just cheering me on like a crazy person I was like oh my god this woman really is really rooting for me and then that same year uh, later on in that year I auditioned for Christmas Carol and that's when I got carol, the carol with her and it was really like my first I would say my first really big New York Broadway show because it was a Broadway show for oh, all intents and purposes. Absolutely, it was, it was
0: a Broadway show. I mean, production contract. <laughs> I mean, design, yeah. creative team. That's funny. For the longest time, I considered it my Broadway debut. Yeah. And then people are like, "It's not Broadway." Oh my and, god! Please. And we then other so so people are hard. I know, and it was bigger than. I mean, it's bigger <laughs> and better than some other Broadway shows. A, a lot of the Broadway shows. Um, but I remember being so inspired by you. Uh, one thing that uh, I still do almost to this day, I saw you like on the ground in between shows writing thank you cards and postcards to casting people, and I was like, what are you doing? You're like, I'm getting my next show, baby. Yeah, that's your job. And I mean, I never, that's something I never really knew about, you know?
1: It's just, it's kind of, you know, it's a kind of a courtesy because there are so many people in this industry, there's so many people who can get this job. There are so many people who are 5'10", with brown hair and brown eyes, who look like me, or are in my same ethnic category, who dance as well as me, who sing as well as me, whatever. But I got the job. So I feel beholden into all the old people that put me there. Uh, you know, tar- uh, this at that time, it, was, it wasn't Tara Rubin, it was... Um, Hughes the, Moss. Hughes Moss casting. That's who cast that. Like, they had been champions of mine in other shows. And, the, and so I felt... I always feel responsible to people who champion me. And I feel like casting directors are those people who... Keep you on file. Who keep bringing you and who who want you to work? They value you, and so you should really be respectful to them and, and thank them and let them know. I mean, I you know I I I, I remember sending flowers to Tara Rubin when I got Jersey Boys. It was like when we opened on Broadway because I didn't know when we got I got it in La Jolla that it was coming to New York, but I remember when we got to New York and we opened opening night. I sent her flowers saying I wouldn't be here without you. Ah. Oh. Because it's true, you know. Absolutely. She's, uh, but it's weird. I felt, every casting director has, they're so important in your life, whether you like it or not. I think casting directors are, um, they're root for you if they really are, you know, I I remember Johnson lived casting, Moss casting, um, oh, God, there's so much, Stuart Howard casting. Yes. They were the guys who were like, were my champions, and I would get cast through them. And, Time went on, and I got older, and and younger dancers came in, and then they're you know, the Bernie Telsey's office has their crowd that they like, so I feel like. You just have to keep doing your best for them, but there's certain casting directors have their lists, they you know the people that they like.
0: Absolutely, but sometimes I'll go into an audition, and as I leave, the casting director will say, "Oh, thank you for your card, Brad. It was very sweet." Because people don't do that anymore. No, now it's, it's not, even it's They do emails now, and people don't read them all. So it's, no. it makes a difference.
1: If you can get something on a casting director's desk with a personal note, it is so different and out of the ordinary at this point that it really will get you noticed, I think. Because people just don't. And not the postcard with your face on it. I mean, sometimes I feel like if you get the job, you've already gotten, you've done the work, you've gotten the job, so just send them a note. A nice note saying, "Thank you. You've always been in my corner, and I feel I, you know, I wouldn't be here without you, or I wouldn't have gotten this far without you." It's a really nice thing to do, and very simple. Uh, uh, it, it requires a stamp <laughs> and, and an envelope
0: and a card. That's it. Um, um, well, no, I still do that to this day because of you. So thank you. <laughs> well, so tell me, where did where did you grow up? How did you get started? Um, I grew up,
1: I was born in the Bronx, but then I, when I was five, we moved to Rockland County, which is about 20 minutes out of, out of New York City. And um, I got started because I was doing, I had four older brothers who were wrestlers and football players and, and basketball players and jocks, basically. And then they got to me, and I was like, that all looks so painful that I'm going to dance. <laughs> gonna, and which I, you know, of course, is just as painful as everything else. So, um, But they... I did the shows in high school, and I remember very sp- specifically when I was a sophomore in high school, My we did Gypsy, I played Tilsa, the woman who was the uh, choreographer worked at a dance studio, and the studio was owned by a woman named Diane Coupe Frankel. And Diane Coupe Frankel, for those of you who don't know, has, was in 17 original Broadway casts from, from like 1958 through 1960-something the original picking in in Ryan and Forum and uh, Funny Girl, the original dance captain. I mean, she was a Broadway baby. And so she, uh, the woman who choreographed the show taught at the studio. She invited me for a class. Diane watched the class, the owner of the studio, and she offered me a scholarship at 15 years old. She said, I would like you to, you know, please, uh, I will give you a class for free, but you have to take ballet, jazz, and tap. You can't just take jazz class. And I was like, ballet class. <laughs> so I would sneak into jazz class and the, and the studio uh, supervisor would come and grab me and throw me into ballet class. I hated it. And that was how I started. And then, of course, moved on to community theater and, you know, things like that. And I got my first paying a job at 21, production of Chicago. And for those of you out there who are doing non-equity tours, thank your lucky stars they're not like this anymore. Um, this was... A production in Chicago that was, uh, we, I call it the bus and bus. We were, uh, <laughs> we were, the producer had rented a, not rented, bought a yellow school bus. A yellow school bus. And took half the seats out. And in the back were the sets and costumes. In the front were the actors and the musicians. And we drove around the mountains, the Blue Ridge Mountains, the Ozarks, and basically played any town that the producer had relatives or friends in that we could stay in their houses. So we would play, like, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, uh, in a place called the Aces Lounge, literally, <laughs> that had four neon aces <laughs> over the door, and one, one of the aces was flickering. Like, I'll never forget, like, walking up going, oh, my God, showbiz, I love it! And uh, the bus broke down one day in the middle of nowhere, and all the guys had to get off the bus and pee into a cup and um, they plugged the holes in the radiator with chewing gum and poured our urine into the radiator so the bus can continue on to the next town. Not kidding. Yes. Oh, my God. That's what you call paying your dues. Yes. So those of you on non-equity tours now, thank you, Lucky Stars, because they're much better than they were back then. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was getting $275 a week. I, I actually saved money, and I was performing. I was, I was dancing and having a good time. It's the first time I ever pulled my hamstring. I'll never forget.
0: Oh, yeah? nothing worse. the, get, the yeah. fir, first your first, first, first
1: injury of many, but the first one is always like, "Oh my God, I am destructible." Ah. Oh, that's the
0: worst <laughs> feeling. Well, you even said that you. Uh, I'm going to theater by the sea this summer, and you said there was raccoons that under. Oh the yeah, uh,
1: I went after that. I did. Uh, I did a lot of summers. I did summer stock at theater by the sea, and back then they were like literal barns. I mean, the theater by the sea was like a barn with an audience, like, uh, and that they had done years ago. Before I had gotten there, a production of On the Twentieth Century, where they had the, the train, so they had to cut tracks into the set, into the deck, but they didn't replace them, so you could see straight through to the ground, the dirt below the stage, on the while you were on stage, it was like they, they oh were like holes in the stage, um, and, and but I, it, there was something charming and wonderful and lovely about the innocence of being part of of something. When you first want to do it as an art form rather than as a paycheck, you know, when you really just want to have fun, you you've trained, you've worked hard, you've you've you you know you've done all you can to get where you are in this moment, and you just want to get on stage and have a ball. And I had a blast. I all uh, many of my good friends I met doing summer stock, um, but I just remember. Like all of us pooling our money to buy a chicken, you know, to to (laughs) cook between shows. Like it was so, we got paid nothing and, and and we were, you were able to survive on nothing back then too. You didn't need more than $300 a week to, you know, go shopping, pay your rent in New York and still, you know, be able to be out of town. Um, It's just, it's, it, 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 that experience to me was so much fun and so um, uh, liberating in the sense that, I finally got to be on stage as a professional, as opposed, and and people expected things of me, and I had to show up, and I had to rehearse, and I had to be um, focused because you would rehearse during the day, uh, your main, sh- you would rehearse the next show, then you would have like a break of two hours or something in which you would rehearse the children's show that you were going to do the next day, and then you. would get ready to perform the show you were doing that night, which was different than the show you rehearsed during the day, and then you'd finish that show, and then you'd still rehearse the children's show and sing in the cabaret afterwards. So it was like your day went from like 10 in the morning until 3 in the morning, and and it never stopped because you did four or five shows a season, so you were constantly rehearsing a new show. And that's, I mean, this was, Theater by the Sea wasn't too bad, because you did shows for like two weeks or something. There, uh, two or three weeks, their show, there were theaters. There used to be theaters at one week stock, and you would do a new show every week for seven weeks. Wow, seven weeks. And that was uh, Seaside. I think it was Seaside or Surfside. Surfside, in New Jersey used to do that. But they were they're were all gone now.
0: Yeah, well, it's nothing about like learning by doing. Yeah. Did you go to college as well? No,
1: I did not. I was not a. Um... Back in the day, my day, uh, there weren't conservatories. There were, if you went to. Th- To school for theater, you either went for voice, which was basically opera, dance, which was basically modern or ballet, or acting, which was acting. There was no musical theater. There was no conjoined. uh, Uh, Twins. Yeah, twins. There's no sideshow theater. Uh, There was no conjoined, you know, there was no. like, there was no CMU, there was you know, conser- uh, no conservatories like Cincinnati, There's no Boston uh, conservatory. None of that existed back in the 80s when it would have been my time to go to college. So when it came for me in high school, when I looked at the prospects of what I wanted to do, I was like, just, it just didn't make sense to go to college to get a degree in whatever, um, you know, art history or whatever I was right. going to do. because. N- I was bound and determined. I'll never forget my mother saying, "You know, you have to go to school. You need something to fall back on." To which I replied, "That would be admitting defeat." You know, like that was my perspective on going to college. Like I, you know, you're telling me I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna fail already. So um, I, I just started coming back into the city and taking class. Um, I, my, That's the one thing I have to say about Diane. Um, my first dance teacher was that she was so um, ingrained in the New York City theater scene. She knew all the teachers in the city. She knew the competition. And she would, f- she would f- take us in a van on Saturdays down to take class with Phil Black. And, oh. uh, yeah, like, like, and I remember just being terrified of this man. I mean, it's just, you know, walking splits across the floor was your warm up. I mean, you just like be in a split and you just roll over one to the next. That was your warm up. And it was frightening, but she you know, instilled in us you know, the sense of, this is what your competition is. You need to know, if you really want to do this, you need to know what you're up against. So uh, it, was, uh, I, it was invaluable to me. She did not only teach me how to dance, she taught me how to perform and how to compete in this industry. And that was a big, big lesson for me. Um, and then I got a scholarship at a place called Fancy Dancer, which is on 40, 40th Street and 7th Avenue. And it was the longest studio in the world. I mean, take any studio at Steps of Broadway Dance and double it. It was the longest studio in the world. And the combinations, um, it was owned by Gene O'Gheary and John Medeiros. And John was from the Alley Company at one point. And he would, he would, your combination was the whole song. Oh,
0: He would my choreograph gosh.
1: over the week, over five days, he would choreograph the whole song. So we would do conga. I remember um, uh, from um, Miami Sound Machine. Yes. It was a big hit then. And we danced the whole song. By by Friday, you ner- you danced the whole five minute song. And I mean the combination. And they took up because their studio was so long. He would choreograph like these y- running, jumping, back and forth. I never forget like learning how to do double tilt turns. We're in like a double attitude, but you're tilted, oh, yes. oh yeah. And then stopping it and laying out like that's the shit I learned how to do when I was young. It was crazy fun crazy fun, and I was 19, 20, so I was like, what the hell,
0: woo, absolutely. it um,
1: these were great teachers, and they were also very, um, like, John would sit me down with a, an anatomy poster and show me what muscles were not working on me, he would point to, like, my psoas and say, you have to understand how this works, you have to look at this chart, and look at this muscle, and understand what this muscle does, and how it helps you get your leg up in the air, um, which I don't think... It, it's such a different world now. I mean, everybody's so flexible. And, and I mean, the competition thing is.
0: Yes, it's that, really changed. That's a whole other world. I, yeah. I
1: don't understand how boys can do the 180 degree splits. You know, not, not in the splits, but like ponches, 180 ponches. I, I don't know how that happens, but my legs never wanted to do that, ever. And I think it was because it was a masculinity thing. I right. think because boys didn't put their legs up above their waist. Boys jumped and turned and lifted girls. Girls were the ones who developed into to their head and, and and boys were were that was considered feminine. Right. So I think in when we were being trained that was not something that
0: the importance of that was not there was no a lot of importance placed on that. Well we were talking earlier about the the emphasis of being of a man being masculine. Yeah. Regardless of sexuality or anything like that. Just if you're a yeah. theater that's what you do. And now it's about you being who whatever whatever you there's want there's
1: a very big difference performance style and i think the requirements are different i i also think that choreographers look for dance not look for dancers but when they see someone with a certain ability they exploit that in their choreography as opposed to creating choreography themselves and plugging people into it and i don't mean to degrade that i mean that, that, that yes all these guys can do terrific amazing things i saw some guy i, I can't remember the show do like a 180 ponche double pirouette like like his body his body was over his leg was in a 180 split and he did a double turn like that
0: oh my gosh but
1: that's an ability to me it, it, I always always question the storytelling ability of that I I, I I think it's like someone being given too many toys to play with and they're not really
0: using them. Well, absolutely. And then, how do you find someone that can understudy that or replace exactly?
1: That? And that, and then, and then, all of a sudden, the, the, you feel like the performance is degraded because someone's not going to be able to do that. Besides that one person, absolutely. Um, but uh, that wasn't my world at all when I was when I was training when I was growing up. I mean, my my world was more. I would say uh, Diane had a very strong Luigi base mm. and um, some Fosse training. She worked for Fosse a couple times, but she also uh was a very strong ballet base but but jazz dancers and ballet dancers are two different things and 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 especially like during the west side story time and whatnot jazz dancers were jazz dancers right they trained specifically with mathematics with luigi with you know these these uh, this kind of curriculum that was more earth-based um your plie different you know now Everyone has to be a ballet dancer. Everyone has to have a ballet lift to them. So the choreography is very off the floor, very up, very light, as opposed to looking at, like, Jack Cole stuff. I mean, it's just down. Down, down, down. And people, I mean, we just don't train like that anymore. No. People's Achilles heels are not, I mean, literally, your calves and Achilles are not stretched out enough to do the kind of plie that you need to do West Side Story with. I, I Literally, I remember Alan Johnson, who was in the original and sets... You know, all the companies, or had said all the companies, literally telling us, none of you have the right amount of flexibility in your calves and your to do this to do cool. Wow! Like literally saying you can't plie the way I need you to plie to do cool. And well, it's, that's old and, school of people yeah. are mean. <laughs>
0: well, it wasn't being mean. It was being specific. It was right, like you're absolutely. not. You're
1: trained. You we're trained differently.
0: Oh, we are trained you know, differently.
1: Very, very differently. And I you know, last year I did this dance machine thing. The American Dance Machine. We did it, which is the company that kind of revives iconic numbers from vintage Broadway shows. Um, There are certain numbers that just will never look right on a contemporary dancer. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, uh, it it just doesn't have um, it. The body type just doesn't doesn't match up with the choreography. Um, But you know, again, there are kids out there who can do amazing things amazing with their body, things. I just, I, just, my, my, I cringe, I, 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 I literally sit in the audience, like I was watching Newsies, and all I could think of was icing my knees, icing my back, <laughs> icing, icing my ankles, icing, icing. Well, we're going to get to you ta- uh, you're telling say- icing <laughs> stories.
0: So how did you get your equity card? What was your first um, My first
1: equity card was West Side Story, actually, oh. in, um, in Toledo, Ohio, uh, at the Westgate Dinner Theater in a strip mall and i'll never forget the uh, at the matinees they would bring the people from the old age homes to see the show and they would set up the buffet on the stage and then they would roll it off the the and, and then we perform on it but at intermission the old biddies would go shopping next door at the lions department store and then come back and at the top of back 2, while, while the girls were singing, I Feel Pretty, they would like show each other, oh, look what I got, it was on sale, like literally unwrapping things. Oh, Because they no. basically used the bus to go see the show as a way to get to the shopping mall. It was hilarious. Um, yeah. And I, I spent a winter in
0: Toledo getting my equity card. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeesh. So you mentioned the, uh, uh, that Christmas Carol was being one of your first big shows. Uh, how many years did you do that? I did four years of Christmas Carol. Uh, I um, did, too. Not the... I don't think we did... I did the last last no, year. No, no,
1: no. We were there together. The, the first
0: three years we were there together. Yeah. The second, third, and fourth. And then you left uh-huh. and then came back. Yes. Oh, okay. I don't know. You went back. Yeah, I just went back because someone kept getting injured. Um, <laughs> and speaking of kept getting injured, uh, I your next big show that was also Strowman was Contact. Contact. Yeah. And so how was... Uh, now that you finally, after years of auditioning for Strowman, you get in that door, now you get a really great show. What's the progression of um, that. contact
1: was like contact was my legitimacy like mm. contact was the moment I felt like I am an A-list dancer in New York I'm finally here because I was dancing with Rocker Verastique and Jack Hayes and Nina Goleman and um, Sean Martin Hingston and I mean like the list goes on Pascal Fay these people had were icons to me yeah I mean, like, oh, my God. And to, to dance next to them and to dance with them was uh, uh, humbling, to say the least. I mean, to, to watch these people work, um, I, I had to work harder than I ever had before in my life. Um, and I remember the audition very dis- distinctly. It was the simplest combination in the world. It was really, I will never forget. It was so simple. It was like only four counts of eight or, or eight counts of eight. And it wasn't that hard, but I remember Stroman saying, y- you know, be in a place. Be in a, you're in a bar, it's four o'clock in the morning. You know, you've had seven drinks. I remember her saying this over and over again, like, you know, be, be somebody, be somebody. And people kept doing this in like beautiful line and extension. Dancers that I, I admired and, and revered were cut. And somehow, and I got I, I one audition, one audition. Wow, one audition for this and one audition for Jersey Boys. That's it. No callback, nothing. Isn't that crazy?
0: Yes, crazy
1: stories. <laughs> um, but I, again, like talking about going into overdrive, like working with Stroman is is hard enough. But work, like working on Christmas comes was hard. I mean, there was a, a lot of hard dancing, but we both went into the show a year after it had been conceived. Working on contact from, I did the workshop from ground up. So working on the day one of a project with her is the most intense experience ever. She not only expects you to show up with every skill you have in your basket, but you have to be a person, you have to be in a place, you have to know, you have to tell a story with every moment. Uh, she expected so much of that cast um, and it and and she never it was never verbalized the characters we created were not were from the organic physical action we were doing we spent the first 3 days of rehearsal just switching partners oh. we learned we learned one dance we did it for 3 days
0: simply irresistible uh
1: no um uh Was it? It was a slow number actually. It wasn't that fast. It was a slow number, and it was just. And we did it for three days. And she just kept switching people back and forth, and teaching a little bit more of the dance and switching people back and forth. And she just wanted to see what energy worked, what energy didn't work, and what energy energy was interesting. And my partner in the workshop was very tall, taller than me actually in heels, and she and I kind of were a little bit oil and water. Uh-huh. And I had a hard time with her. I had a really, I mean, not, not, I had a hard time with myself. It wasn't her, it was me. But it was, it was a contentious working relationship. I had never really partnered that strong, that, I had non, not done that much partnering work before. So a lot, I had to really raise my game that way. I had to be a strong partner. I had, to, I had a lot of, we had a lot of lifts in the show. Um, and a lot of swing dancing, which, on t- and then a layer on top of that, being a person in, in this this club doing this thing, um, you know. The, so, she saw that there was a, a tension between us, which was interesting to watch. Whether whether it was comfortable for us for us to do, was not of her concern.
0: Huh. Oh, that's fascinating. Exactly.
1: I mean, that, but but she liked watching this dynamic happen. So she put us together because she saw, you know, we would fight about, you know, whose hands on top. We would, there was a, you know, she was a very strong, that was the, one of the hardest parts about contact was the women were these amazingly strong dancers. Amazing, amazing, like rocks. And they had to let the guys lead. They had to learn to let the guys lead because mm-hmm. it, was, it was supposed to look like a club a nightclub, not a not a performance on a stage, but in a nightclub. And so it had to be spontaneous and invented right there. And getting the women to kind of acquiesce to that was a real, that was one of the major efforts we had, I would say, during that process. I remember my partner, who was eventually my Broadway partner, um, not the original girl, uh, saying to me at once, well, I, I, I'm not on my leg. I'm not on my leg, and I. To which I would say, well, if you let me put you there, I'll get you there. But you have to let me do it. I lead you there. Oh. And it was it was a negotiation because we, you know, again we were dealing with very strong, amazing, <laughs> amazingly talented. Oh women, yes. But who, who in this instance had to kind of relinquish that that strength to the men, and when they did, it just became this more conversational. Way of dancing that really highlighted the woman. The bottom line is, you know, the, in partner dancing, the guy's job is to make the girl look good. Period. Absolutely, and um, and it was being being part of that ensemble. And this is like going back to like being an ensemble. Like you are in the ensemble, you are, Your job is to not only dance well, but to fill the life of the of the of the space that you're in. Be part of. As, you know, to be as, as fulfilling as the lights and the sound, you're part of the storytelling. And that's hard to be an ensemble member to realize. I don't think people really get how important they are in, in this storytelling process. Oh,
0: absolutely.
1: It's really, like, I, I danced Captain Jersey Boys for five years, and I would come back stage after being swung out to watch the show, and goes, you guys don't realize just how much we see you all the time. You are always there. You are always present. You know, you're never, you're n- you're never not there. And uh, in the ensemble, you're never when you're on stage, you're on stage, and you have to be focused in telling that story. And uh, you know, I feel like sometimes people who who are just dancers, you know, they call us just dancers, um, don't realize how important that that moment is. How how important it is to fulfill. The storytelling, that storytelling moment, it, it, it and that contact taught me that very well. I felt like I was so vital, and every every person on the stage was so vital to what was going on. And some of it was Stroman. She directed it. She she gave us a little, but she let us play with who we were and what our story was.
0: And she that's never, so much more interesting to watch.
1: That uh, it was it was so flattering and so uh, kind of humbling. The, all the reviews mentioned that—that
0: hmm. that,
1: you know you can go see the show twice, once for the story, once for the ensemble, because there were—I mean, there were there was so much going on and so much. There were the various amounts of talent, and uh, like my cousin, who was oh my god, he danced with Pina Bausch. She brought all this crazy, you know, German Bauhaus dance theater to the to the performance and. You know, Nina Goldman had worked with ballet companies and Rock River Seek. I mean, these people were from all various places in the theater, and had all you know had all different performance techniques that were just kind of shoved into this one place. Some of us were real Broadway babies. Some of us were real avant-garde dancers, you know, from from comp- dance companies, and it was such a mishmash. And it just, it just kind of. It it, it was such a gift to play. Once, once we got to the comfort level of being able to play and relax, it was really, really fun. And it really, really hurt. <laughs> uh,
0: well, so from the workshop, did you know you, were gonna, you had an off-Broadway contract coming? Um,
1: we did the w- first workshop um, in January February, uh, which was thrilling because when you would do a workshop at Lincoln Center, when you do the presentations... For the invited audience, the invited audience is Steven Sondheim and Meryl Streep and Glenn Close, and that's the invited audience. So you're in the downstairs studios, you know, this little studio and underneath Lincoln Center, and there's, you know, Paya Pone telling you you're fabulous. I'm like,
0: you are fabulous, You're <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's just so
1: bizarre. It's like what this is like. The I'll never forget one of my favorite stories or moments of being part of the Lincoln Center Theater. Group uh, was being invited to the New Year's Eve party at uh, Bernie Gersten's house, which is what we call the office party, which consists of uh, Meryl Streep and you know I, like every star you can name, oh. uh, and, uh, uh, every author you can name, every every composer you can name, like everybody, uh, Michael John Leguiza and uh, Harold Wheeler and I mean what I, I met. All these uh, Joan Allen, like sitting on the back of a couch with Joan Allen, just talking about working there and the like. That's that's their office party, right? Yeah, exactly. Like that's just that's the uh, people who work there on a daily basis, and to be in that realm, in that in that orbit, was beyond. I mean, the the feeling to, to to be respected that much, you know, to to know that I had it once in my life, I'm fine.
0: I can never dance a step again and know that I I had that. I used to love eating in the cafeteria because you could hear the opera going on and people would be in costume in the middle of a show. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. I was like, what? That was just, it was an amazing complex to work at.
1: When we were downstairs, because we opened at the Mitzi, we, our break, when we were rehearsing our lunch break, they were doing, um, they were doing, uh, oh, not Marie Christine, um, Parade. Oh. I would go run upstairs and listen to Parade. It just, it just blew my mind that I was working in the same place. Um, but the contact was, uh, we opened downstairs, it it blew up, it blew up, I mean, it really blew up. It, it became one of those moments of like, there's only two hundred and eight seats in this theater and like no one could get to see the show and everybody wants to see the show so you it's such a tiny theater and you're I'll never forget my there was one point I had to do it I had to spot this one place for a double pirouette and it happened to be like the house seats for celebrities so like I would be spotting Patty Lepone or Kristen Chenoweth or Kirk Douglas or like but every night I, I would look at that spot and there'd be a uh, some major celebrity sitting oh, in that wow. seat and doing a double pirouette to it. <laughs> it was such a blast. But it was also like before, uh, because it, it's always so weird when you're working on a workshop, you've done workshops before too, yeah. you're in this incubator that is safe and you're working so hard and so focused and so concentrated and you go home and you think about it and you go to work and you work hard and you go home and you think about it and you, you, know, you go over stuff and it, all you do is that, because it's so consuming. And so you forget that it, the rest of the world is then going to own it. Right. So when, when, it, when all of a sudden you put it on a plate and serve it, it it's it, it, and then other people have to then market it, and produce it, and sell it. And, you know, and it becomes, I'll never forget, when we were doing content that it was called a dance play.
0: Right, exactly,
1: yeah. When we were downstairs. And then when we moved upstairs, it became a new musical. They changed the, the, the tagline.
0: And that was just probably for Tony's.
1: It was for Tony's. It was for how to sell this thing. You know? right. So that's, that's part of the process. And it's not a bad thing, but it also, you have to realize that you will never, ever have anything like opening night again. Right. You will have opening night, and then you will do your job, which is not a bad thing but know that the magic sort of ends there. I mean, maybe up until the Tonys. Like we opened in April and and it was magic up until the Tonys and then the summer was great, but then you do your job. And that's, you know, that's where professionalism and uh, focus, you know, and and really integrity shows up because there are people who can't do that. They don't have longevity, they don't have, you know, they don't have the ability to do a long run. They, they can they last maybe six months and then all of a sudden these start lurking. Uh,
0: well, when how it, long did you stay with contact?
1: Three years, the three whole years. run, I did the whole run. I had a couple of injuries that took me out of the picture. One, I ch- I chipped a bone in my left ankle jumping on a pool table and it started floating around in my ankle joint and sawing into my tendons. And I crippled me, like literally I had a girl I was I was jumped on the pool table and I was about to grab a girl and like it was like somebody stuck an ice pick in my ankle and I went oh. down. Um, yeah, that was a funny thing about Contact. When you went down, you went down hard. Every uh, every time somebody went down on that show, people I, I saw somebody snap an Achilles heel and crawl <laughs> off stage. Crawl off stage. I crawled off stage many a time. I heard to twist in my back with well, a girl over my head on a pool table. Pressed her up. My back like literally someone stabbed the knife into my back. I slowly like pressed her down, like slowly got her back down to the to the pool table. I looked at her and I said, I'm out and I laid down on the pool table and I waited. I had to wait because the pool table then sank back down under the stage and I crawled off the pool table uh. on the floor. And 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 everybody had that experience. Everybody in that cast, there was a, everyone had that moment where they they you you, there was no marking, you couldn't. There were only, what, six couples, the girl in the yellow dress, the bartender, and Michael Wiley. So nobody on stage, there's no marking, and you're working for Strowman. You don't mark. You don't mark. You don't mark. There's no marking. So, and the choreography is, uh, for for that show, the second act was, uh, the first act wasn't as hard for some people, but the second act was like, you push play at the beginning, and for in a place for an hour, and you dance for an hour straight, and then you press stop. So, within that, like there's little thirty-second, one-minute breaks, but really it's like nonstop. So, you're working at your top capacity. You are. You're going to class in the morning to keep your body. Going. You're going to physical therapy in the afternoon. You're going to acupuncture on Sunday nights. You're going to, you know, you're, and then every night after the show, you're icing your back, you're icing your knees. And the nice thing about Lincoln Center is it's all on one level. So the stage managers would come down with a cart and they toss the ice bags into the dressing rooms, like they throw newspapers on somebody's front lawn. You can how many bags tonight? Uh, three. Two for my knees, one for my back. And we would sit there, and the whole cast would sit there every night with ice packs all over their body. And we kind of started this tradition of, like, making cosmopolitans and, and icing. And, and the show would come down at ten ten on the front. We got down to 10-10, 10-15. And we'd all be in the building until 11 o'clock because nobody – like, we'd all ice yeah. and, and drink. We'd all congregate in one room, ice ourselves down, you know, stretch out, um – I never realized how important it was to warm down until that show. I, that's the one thing I learned, in a bad way and a hard <laughs> way, that I had to I had to warm down after work um, and bring my body back to normal. Uh, and the icing helped, but but it it, it was rough. Uh, <laughs> it was I a loved rough it. Room. I actually
0: saw it front row at the uh, downstairs. Laura Pels. Oh my God! You are so, on stage with us. Yeah, no, I, so it was fantastic. <laughs> So you also uh, did uh, two Encores and two Actors Funds, which are both, like, huge amount of work for, like, once for one six performances, yeah. one's for free, and one night. Yeah. So, I mean, how was it doing the Encores Encores series? is
1: fun. Encores reminded me of Summer Stock. Like, the minute you get into the studio and you realize, I have two weeks. I have two weeks to learn this and get this up. Not just for an audience, but for a theater audience. Like, these are people who go to see Broadway shows, so, you, you know, you'd be on your shit. Um... And everybody wants to make them as big as possible, and that's the hard part. Is like they're there, they're sh- they're, you don't have enough time. I mean, I did carnival, and I remember hanging upside down on a ladder on wheels, being rolled around the stage, yeah, you know, like going, I, 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 I have seven minutes to learn this crap.
0: Yeah, <laughs> what am I doing? It's supposed to be about the music, yeah, and it never, and it yeah, is. <laughs> but
1: but you know, you. you I, I did I did the first one um, we did the workshop of contact in January 2000, uh, 1999 and then we did I did my first encores which was Zig uh, like Phil Follies um, and I ass- assisted cho- uh, Tommy Walsh with choreography which was really fun I got to work with Cynthia Ann Rubia which scared the shit out of me um, and I was in the chorus of that and then I did a couple of years later, I did another one. While I was doing contact, I could, took a, a week vacation, so I was rehearsing, con, uh, encore's um, Carnival during the day and doing contact at night for a week, which is a little mind mind screwing. And then the second week, I took off to perform it, and um, it's just it, they're fun, but they're literally they're like hit, hit and run theater. Like you, you get in, you do it, and you go. Like yeah. it, there's no there's no stopping. Um, and the other, the Actors fun stuff is really fun because people are so excited to be there. That's the fun part about... Like, I did this uh, Funny Girl. That uh, that was the one I was in. And um, they had decided that each scene would have a different fanny. So the first one was Sutton Foster just sh- just after she had won the Tony for uh. Millie. So she did... Uh, Greatest Star. And then, like Kristen Chenoweth did, The Bride Scene. And then um, uh, Dean Manziel sang Coronet Man. And uh, Lilius White sang Don't Rain in My Parade. So each scene had a different different uh, Fanny Bryce. And the wonderful thing about the night, I mean, they were all there. Carolee Carmel Andrew Mountain. Um, I mean, the cast was uh, astonishing. and But the wonderful thing about being part of it is that when those women were not performing their their moment as Fanny. They were in the wings watching like high school girls uh. cheering each other on. Yeah, it was it was so fun. Um, it made but like that like those moments in the theater is like why you do it. Yeah. You know, like why you do the you know, why you rehearse for three weeks, do a better for what night. Because Andrew Martin's gonna be in the wings screaming at Christian Channel with go, go, go like it's it's yeah. crazy. So, I mean, th- there are, th- that's when you're reminded that this is a, not just
0: a job. Absolutely. You know, well, and you've also been a cheerleader of other performers in your life. And, I mean, you've recommended jobs to me. And you have <laughs> always, uh, I mean, there's so much, like, competition and cutthroat in this business. But you also represent of, like, the the supporting nature that, uh, that this is a love and stuff like that. So yeah, that's a great part in, of you. Yeah, we're all
1: in together. I mean, you can't. You can only compete with yourself in this business. You can't... I I remember one audition, and I won't name the choreographer or the show, but I remember going in to audition for it and walking out because I thought, I will never want to work with this person or these people. Mm. I I don't want to spend time in in a rehearsal room with these people or that person uh, because this is not... It's hard enough. I don't need shit from you. <laughs> Sorry for bad language, but I, I, don't, I don't need to feel oppressed by you Right. as a choreographer. I need to be supported by you. And I felt like in that room, and I, I've done that a couple times where I've said, this is not the job for me, nor is this the person for me. And it might have you know been some detriment to my career, but I have no complaints. I mean, I, I've, I've done the jobs I've wanted to do and I am, I believe in this great Greek philosophy that you are where you belong. That you can't be any place else in the world or at any time and, and time. You can only be here. So if I got that job, then I got it. If I didn't, then I move on. You know, hope to get the next one. But all in all, I'd say like on the overview of my career, I've had a
0: really fun time. I've had. A Lot of fun. <laughs> well let's talk about the show you're in now ah, Jersey boys so you we were talking about the fact that you uh, are coming up on your 10 years of you being yes. with Jersey boys <laughs> um, and uh, and so tell me about I mean that the excitement of working with des and the Tony Awards and oh my God. 10 years later I mean did, would you think 10 years ago you'd be here I thought I I, I do remember because I did
1: the show the out of town try in La Jolla in 2004. And I remember being on stage for the preview and uh, the coming uh, the, the audience going wild, the current call, and coming off and the stage and saying, Well, they never do that. You know, it's a very old Republican town. Uh, not I'm to from San you. Diego. Yeah. I'm not joking. No, but, it, but, but La, Jolla, La Jolla is a very smart, astute oh, it is. theater community. I mean, they, they know what they're looking at. And so, to impress them is is a difficult thing. And and I remember coming off stage, going, "This is something. This is something." Uh, I thought it was very smart. I thought it was very commercially viable because you're taking these iconic songs and telling a man's story, men's story. It's not. It's it's a very masculine story it's about men re- men's relationships. Um, which you don't exemplify a lot in theater. The wicked's and the whatnot, and you, but you don't get a story between two guys slugging it out in a relationship that lasts for more than 40 years. Yeah. Like that's a, I think that to me was a very um, uh, smart uh, choice to tell the story of the real seasons rather than, because the way the show formulated was that the, the Bob Gaudio and Frankie Valli, who were the original, you know, who are the Four Seasons, two of the Four Seasons came to the writers and said, "We'd like you to do a jukebox musical with our music. We, you know, we want to get in on this." And so they were asking them to create a story around the music. And and our Rick Ellis and Marshall Brickman, who wrote the book, had lunch with them and and just kind of get to know them. And and they told them stories of you know growing up and being thugs and going to prison and and you know, where Frankie learned how to sing, and they turned to them and said, we're not writing some made up story, we're writing this story, this is the story to tell. And I think it's, I think it resonates because, I think we have a, we have a great repeat audience because it resonates with men. It resonates with men of a certain age. And let's face it, theater, you know, Broadway theater is a commercial industry. It is, you know, who buys the tickets? Women, the, you know, the, the, the the wife will buy the tickets for the show. I mean, it's really the demographic that goes shopping for what we take. Absolutely. As opposed to Jersey Boys, which we have a very strong, you know, male contingent in their 50s and 60s and 70s who come to see this show often. They've seen the show 7, 10, 20 times because it resonates with them, whereas it's harder for them to go see Wicked or something right. that doesn't, you know, so I think that's why this why the show is so
0: popular and successful and long and has such a long life but um, the product's good because I think with yeah. Rocky they wanted to capture that same audience and it didn't work where with Jersey Boys the music's good the storytelling is good yeah. I think the problem with Rocky is that you're it's a movie already right so
1: do you do that or do you be brave and go go a, a, down a different path you know and tell it in a different way um, and the other thing about Jersey Boys is that nobody really knew the Four Seasons because they came out at the same time, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and, and rock and roll reporters were, were bored with them. They, they were blue-collar guys from Jersey. Who the hell cares? Right. So they reported on you know the exotic British invasion and whatnot. But at the same time, the Billboard charts were always the Beatles, Four Seasons, or Four Seasons and the Beatles, back and forth. They were switching first and second the whole time. Um, being part of it again there's nothing like being part of an original piece and that is to be the person it was always my dream as a kid to have my name in the back of a costume
0: oh that's a great dream you know yeah. you know, oh, absolutely yeah, like, and I love yeah. it when someone's like oh I just tried on a costume exactly. and it has your, <laughs> your name, name in it <laughs> and I'm like oh yeah <laughs> I know I, I, I have to tell
1: you there's a, there is when I was 18 one of my first jobs out of high school um, I don't know how I got this job I was a stock boy at this Theatrical costume shop in, it used to be on 54th and 9th Avenue called uh, Eves Brooks. They were a very big costume shop and they did mainly, I mean, they used to do provide the Broadway shows, but then they they really became like a touring house. They would would get the touring costumes. So my job was to bring that stuff in uh, when it came off the road or from a regional theater and restock it back into the building and it was uh, it was dusty and disgusting and overstuffed but I remember like seeing I have I had a pair of Berznikov shoes oh my gosh like I had I remember seeing and I always was fascinated by the label because it always had people's names in it yeah and you know uh, or it like a bravo show closed the costumes would usually go there Um, and so that was my fascination I wanted two things I wanted my name in the back of a bravo costume and I wanted to be, this will make you laugh. I wanted to be the celebrity choice in the program. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes, the back of the program. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: What, have you been? Yes. What, I was re- the what restaurant? What uh,
1: restaurant? It was um, the steak place on 46th Street um, or 45th Street. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. But
0: Did you, would you really pick the restaurant? Oh, yeah, you don't pick the restaurant. Uh, they they, they give so. a choice
1: of two. And you don't really review it. You just get free dinner, and all you have to do is say, you know, yeah. Oh. But I was I was Celebrity Choice. That's and two of your goals. I, yes, two of my goals I love that. And I, I, have, I have my Celebrity Choice framed. Oh. <laughs> and, and now when we go to the theater, my husband, Aaron, always the first thing he turns to is the Celebrity Choice. See who's the, who's the Celebrity Choice this year. Oh. Um, but um, Jersey Boys, my journey to Jersey Boys was interesting because we were talking about being ensemble, being ensemble, being ensemble, and it's really—I th- I think it's—it's a—a noble profession. I think it's—you have to—it's an art form. You have to be—you um, have to understand without really being told a lot where you fit in in the storytelling. Uh, with Contact, we were not given tons of direction, but we had to—I mean, we were given direction in the sense that you know. Through the dance, but there were moments uh, like when we were in the in the restaurant scene at the table, where we realized that we had to be mirrors for what was going on with the the lead couple, the the husband, the Italian husband, and the wife. We had to be opposition to them because we had to be happy; they were sad. We are so so as an ensemble, where you have to be uh, really aware of what is happening downstage center and how you reflect that or how you are part of it or not part of it it, it I, it's a sense that you develop when you're on stage and when you when you're performing um it is to how to not draw focus from what the important story is but how to be part of telling that story i think it's a really important thing that people need to learn and you don't really you can't learn it until you start performing
0: yeah and you can't just say oh say peas and carrots back there no
1: no 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 no. you've got to really be i remember mike awkward do you remember mike who directed christmas yes. carol coming around and like in the in the royal exchange the opening scene where we're all bankers and coming up and telling me and matt baker and said like the conversation that we were having now this is you know you're you're trading with this guy and he's from india and he's got tea and you know you're trading tea with him and and that's what's happening here and and your that's what the argument is about and 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 we were we were three people of 80 on stage yep. and yet he walked around and gave everybody little things to, to that that anchored them in the moment that was that time in England rather than being dancers on a stage in a, in a big coat you know walking around trying to be in a place so i, I that's uh, Contact was very instrumental. Con- doing contact was very instrumental in, in in pulling me forward as an actor.
0: Well, because in, cause in Jersey Boys, you double, you have a great role. Yeah. And then you also do some ensemble bits as well.
1: Yeah. I do. Uh, everyone, in, if you're not one of the four seasons, the way the show is constructed is that everybody plays multiple roles. Um. Myself and Mark Lutito, who plays Chip Carlos, another prominent role. I play Bob Crew, who plays, who's the uh, record producer of the show, but also I play three other speaking roles. Plus, I do the waiter in the opening scene. I'm the big guy at the bar with a cigarette. I'm, you know, uh, the sit in Nevada club and the guy with no nose. I mean, it's like all these strange little, I mean, they're very small bits. They're, they're not even noticeable. They're on sample track, but the director wanted the constant energy of the actors to fill the stage. So there's there's not a lot of automation. The sets moved by all the actors. So it was this kinetic. He wanted this kinetic energy happening by us doing it. He wanted the bodies on stage moving. Um, so that's his vision. I mean, Des is he is a, a fascinating man. He is very specific. There is there is no black. And, it's very. It, it, he's very black and white about what he wants. Did you have you worked with him? Before? I haven't. He's really black and white. I mean, he is down the line, like, this is it. And there, there will come a time where he would say, say it like this, exactly like this. Wow. Because that's what he wants. And he knows th- he knows that that's what he wants. As an actor, you have to figure out, okay, if this is the rhythm that he wants that line set, if this is the line reading really he wants, then I have to kind of go backwards and work, work in a different direction rather than working up to the line reading I have to work from the line of reading backwards and understand how it plugs into the character um, in this specific rhythm it's really it's it, it's interesting but uh, he does he's very specific there's no there's no gray area with that man and which is great because some directors are you know are a little more open and he's he he let me play the thing he didn't direct was the comedy he he, he didn't he well, you nailed that. You didn't. Well, n- a comedy, but uh, I nailed it because the writing is so good. Right. I mean, the writing is really the the rhythm of, of some of the stuff is just genius. Like you don't have to do anything, and recognizing that was was part of the part of the process because they are, they are. Uh, Marshall Brickman wrote and won an Oscar for Annie Hall. Yeah. I mean, he's a smart, smart man, and funny, funny, funny. And Rick Ellis also geniusly funny, and and. M- most of the fun I had working on the show was, on breaks, being in in in, in sitting with the two of them and bantering, and that would that would kind of juice me into getting into character because they were, they're so smart and they're so uh, eloquent, and they're so witty and so fast and you had to keep up with them, and they literally changed little moments in the uh, from the Hoya when we when we got to New York they changed little moments, little um, pieces of dialogue and. I, I was frustrated because I said, why did you change that? And they said, well, you say it better than we do. And I was like, mm, that, but then it makes it more me and less him, mm. you know. So it was a kind of a negotiation. Um, but but I I was given a gift with the show. I have to admit, I'm because I again like like you we, we we started out as dancers, you know, we just hoof it out there and try to fill the stage and and be co- coherent and, but then. You know, we grow up and what do we do next? And yeah. and I was fortunate enough that this was the next thing. Um, contact had left me crippled. I mean, <laughs> really. It took me two years to, to walk. I yeah. mean, walk properly. I had to walk upstairs backwards uh. for months and months and months. Um, it really hurt. I mean, I, I had both my knees operated on after the show, a year after the show. I had my ankle operated on during the show. I heard it discs in my back one in my mid back and two in my lower back
0: oh my gosh
1: all during the run of the show and um so it was really a turning point because i had just turned 40 when the show closed and it was like well for yeah 40. what happens you know what happens right. now for us for me and i had always taken acting classes through the years and but I'll never forget auditioning for Jersey Boys. I got the script and the sides, the audition scenes, and they were um, so varied. They were like Joe Pesci, and like I auditioned, I read every role, even the roles I don't play now, but I read every role, I read the, the gangster, and it, and it was me and three other guys. One was short and fat and bald, one was tall and blonde, and another guy who was like another, you know, like all four of us were completely disparate. Like we could not find four... Different people, and we all looked at each other. Well, you we have no idea what they want, do they? Yeah, uh, and I just feel like I was the right height, the right look, just enough Goomba, Guinea. I, you know, pulling my Bronx roots for some of the scenes, and, and and all of it kind of fit. I was like the right place at the right time. And I remember Tara Rubin calling me, I was doing. La Mancha out in Pennsylvania, and I drove in on Wednesday, on a Tuesday night. Did the audition Wednesday morning and drove back for the matinee. And I remember her calling me between shows, saying they they they're going to offer you this job. And it's in La Jolla, and I went, I started crying. I was like, I was, and sick dressing like, and I, and my room was like, what's wrong? I'm like. I had just moved in with my husband, and I was not, i was so sad. I don't, oh, don't want to go! Oh. And he was like, are you an idiot? Go out there. Go do this job. I oh, was like, no, I don't want
2: to leave so you. Key.
1: I really was very sad. Oh. I, well, I almost didn't do it. Oh. But um, I just, I, I, I like doing the ensemble stuff. I like being part of an ensemble. I like being part of the storytelling process of it. It's very important, I think, to not, for me, to not get um, too full of it.
0: Yeah, well, you said something today that I th- found so interesting. You're on a little, uh, just a little tiny break from the show because you've been in for ten years, and you said the main reason is is that you want to maintain your integrity to the show, and that is so brilliant because I think that like you, uh, you have such integrity to do it and also to to make it this long. I interviewed uh, asked Carol Channing a question once, and uh, she I, someone said, "What's your motivation? How do you keep the show fresh?" And she flippantly said, "A paycheck." No. Uh, and I was like well, okay uh, but, but that's part of it I mean you, you you can't get the paycheck
1: without being good at your job I mean you, you, if I was shitty if I was bad at what I did I would have been let go a long time ago yeah I would not still be employed if I was not up to snuff they would have fired me or not re- just not resigned me right which is their uh, their prerogative so yeah I want this paycheck so in order to keep this paycheck I have to keep my integrity. You know, I have to keep doing my job well. Um, I could have been like um, you know, and there were times where because the show is done in different places and the director goes and does a production here and a production there in London and when I, and the show morphs and changes and they want it to become something else and then there's that tug of war as an original cast member going, "Well, that's not what you told me to do.
0: Yes, like that's
1: a really that's a big fight we had like in year three, two, three, four when they started doing productions all over and they started improving the show. You know, I was like, well, we won the Tony with this one, so I thought it was pretty good. At that. <laughs> uh, well, I, I do. I mean, I got to be honest. Uh, oh no, I've yeah. been there. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's suddenly like, and that the, my worst the worst moment is when they come in and say, well, you've been doing this, you're doing this wrong. And I'm like, mm, no, I've been doing this right for five years. Yeah, like I've been doing this since the first day oh. so you know and i actually keep my i still have my um my notebooks and my research books and my my notebooks from the original you know from when we started with all the notes that i got and everything in the book so when they give me a note saying you know this is different i'm like no it's not
0: <laughs> it's
1: <right laughs> yeah I get it. i'm a dick
0: i'll be a dick <laughs> about it Uh, Well, I know one thing that you've done the past several years that have probably kept your life fresh and (laughs) has been uh, directing, and you've been in charge of Broadway Bears a lot as well. Yeah, Um, I try to do as many outside projects as possible that that
1: I can do without having to take time off of Jersey Boys. Uh, Just because I feel like if I don't keep my artistic um, juices flowing outside of it, then then Jersey Boys will get stale. If I had to think about only Jersey Boys 24 hours a day, I would kill myself, and I wouldn't be able to do the job I'm doing. So I do, I, I work on Broadway Pairs, I've, I've, I, uh, I spent three years adapting a script, <laughs> literally backstage, the stagehands built me a little table, and that flipped down, and I would put my computer on it, and I'd, I'd write, and then, uh, and then go on stage, do my come off and write, and, and, and got, I took two months off in 2011 to go direct this show in, in Pittsburgh, and... Um, in fact, it's a great role for you, and there. there's a couple of great roles for you in there. Oh. Um, um, but uh, yeah, I, I I work on uh, actors' fun stuff. I you know anything I can anything I did a couple I did a fringe show last year or no a, a Nymph show last summer I directed anything I could do outside of Jersey Boys outside of what my money making job is wh- anything I could do as a creative person. And I think this is important for anyone in this business is to remember that you are creative, that you need to always be creating. And so no matter what you do, you know, for money is one thing. But you need to still be creative in another way. You need to always nourish that artist in you that is, you know, I, 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 I always I do a lot of lectures for, for schools, high schools and colleges and, and talkbacks and stuff and I always say right now is where it's bright, where it's amazing. Where it's not for money, it's just for the love and for the discovery. And that's when it's really magical, like when, when you don't have to rely on it as a paycheck. And I always say to you know, as a young performer, don't bog yourself down with, with responsibilities like a, an expensive apartment or, you know, a you know, things that are going to tie you down from doing a job for $125 a week in the middle of Iowa, but yet it's with a director or at a theater company that is just amazing. Yeah. Like, that's what you need to be doing for a long, long time. And that's what I did. I toured, I, I did regionals, I played Goodspeed and Guthrie and whatnot, from up until my 30s. While friends or my contemporaries were all doing Broadway shows, I was out having, you know, great experiences out, you know, in, in the regionals and whatnot, having a blast. But also like really doing some fun, fun work. So, and but at a cost. I mean that stuff doesn't pay very much. So you really need to stay light on your feet as far as being um, financially agile. Yeah, that's I think an important thing to remember. It's like everyone wants to come to New York and get their big apartment and you uh, know settle yeah. down. I'm like no, no sublet for years. Because yeah. being on the road is a great thing. It's going to be very
0: valuable to you, and you'll mm. learn a lot. Well, this has been an amazing interview. Thank you so much. Uh, I usually end the, end the interview with a song. If you could pick any song, uh, and I totally forgot to say this before, if you could pick any song from any show that you've ever been in that you would love to end this podcast with, what would it be? Oh, my God. Um,
1: <laughs> that's so crazy. Oh, my God. This is going to make me crazy. Um, well, it's a song in Jersey Boys that I love that actually isn't in the show. It's called uh, Silence is Golden. Um, I'm not going to sing it for you because I can't remember all the lyrics.
0: Oh, no, no. I No, I will download it. I'm not okay. going to make you sing it. Um, so, oh, God. I was like, really? It's like 11 o'clock on Fire Island. I got to do this <laughs> like, No, 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 what? no. No. Um, I,
1: I love... <laughs> I lo- oh, my God. I'm going to kill you. Now, I have to tell you, uh, the thing that uh, every... Uh, Every year, I listen to this album constantly during the holidays, and I, I listen to um, Abundance and Charity. Really? I listen to it constantly during the holidays. I love the lyrics of that song. I love the message of that song, and Christmas Together, like those two songs, are just fill me up. I love them. And and now I have Pam Remler, who was in Jersey oh, Boys. Oh, yes, who was of course. Get stage manager at Jersey Boys. We, we do the choreography for a bunch and Charity. I love Bush that. Things.
0: Dressing up as an elf. <laughs> Big, fat elf. Big, fat elf. See, like, like and just being foolish. Just like, being foolish. Billion,
1: and being out there. I think that's part of it. It's like, I, that's the one thing I was doing. Just did this this party last week. And I said, don't be afraid to make a fool of yourself. Don't be afraid to be out there. You know, you know a good director will rein you in but a good director wants you to, to take risks and go as far as you can yeah don't be afraid god no you'll be bold be bold be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid that's yes. a great quote from Goethe I love it be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid and who says it oh in Almost Famous um, the movie Almost Famous um uh 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 oh 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 oh, oh, oh Francis McDormand says that it's such a great line. Oh yes. She grabs him by the by the collar. She grabs, what's his name? Billy Credit by the collar. And she looks at Be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid. It's so like spiritual. I and, love uh, it's that. a great quote. But it is. It's it makes sense. Like just be brave and jump off and everyone will support you.
0: Well thank you so much. Yay! Yay! <laughs>
2: Charity, goodwill toward men, enjoyment, hilarity, goodwill toward men, come share some, spare some, no matter when, then get with the minute cause you're gonna hit it again! Hey! There's a joyful spirit in your heart, my friend, that spirit's mine. Dine on the bread of human kindness, my fabulous fruit of the vine. A sweet, sir, a treat, sir, a little indulgent thing. abundance, charity, goodwill toward men. Give it a try, come on, men. Goodwill toward men. Ladies, you're looking good.